You know, when you love on somebody and you let them know that you see them without judgment and you use compassion, if you're trying to help somebody, how else is there to do it? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dad's Move podcast. My name's Joe Saladino. I am sitting here with Tony Kagochi. Got it? Yes. Boom. Nailed it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Over at uh, Recovery Cafe. Uh, Introduce yourself, Don. Hello, everyone. My name is Tony Kagochi. I work at the Recovery Cafe as the program director for the Recovery Navigator Program, which is a community outreach program. And I'm also a licensed mental health therapist in the state of Washington. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me out again. <laughs> this is my second time in Ording. Yeah, you really like it out here. I, huh? I, I, I guess. You know, it's all the Christmas trees and pumpkin patches, right? <laughs> I, I, I think it's the, you know, 55 going 65 yeah, and yeah. nobody in the way. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really, really why I enjoy it out here. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it ebbs and flows with the traffic, though. If you catch it at the wrong time, you get <laughs> oh, pretty stuck. I can only imagine. Yeah, so yeah. what you're saying is when we're done. Yeah, yeah. Don't eat. Get yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. Because if it hits around two o'clock when school releases, then the congestion starts. All right. Well, we'll, we'll we'll get moving. We yeah. won't rush the interview, but I'll oh, definitely no. We've be. Got some time. I'll definitely be out of here once I once I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no worries. Um. So yeah. So we wanted to uh, uh, show up and talk about you and kind of your process and how you got where you are and your recovery story and then recovery cafe. So. Uh, Let's start with the beginning. Uh, born and raised. Yeah, so born in Kenya in Nairobi, uh, moved to California when I was three with my mom and dad. Um, I was an only child at the time. Uh, dad was in school and working, and mom was also working. And so uh, being raised by immigrant parents um, is an experience because um, you're just, you don't have the same type of access, you don't know the culture as well. And so, um, you know, I know my parents kind of struggled uh, adapting to that. Uh, but myself, I mean, growing up in California, you know, it was a great, it was a great um, upbringing. You know, grew up in a kind of a lower middle class type of uh, um, upbringing. Um, had the normal things growing up. Uh, you know, the video games and all that good stuff. Played sports. Um, I was a terrible student, though. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. I struggled in school. Um, I think, you know, I think I had that ADHD back then, um, but in the 80s, it wasn't really diagnosed. Right. And so, um, but yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my uh, re- uh, responses from my teachers were about my inability to kind of sit still or... Can't focus. Yeah, can't focus, can't stop talking and all that good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but you know, eh, I ended up figuring school out later in life, but um, it, it, it was a struggle at first, yeah. Okay, um, and so, so, so you're in California. Elementary school is kind of rough. How mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, junior high growing up? Getting oh, a little man. more. We into moved the world. around. We, you know, we moved around a lot. Like you know, we lived in Texas for a year. We lived in uh, different parts of California. Um, seventh and eighth grade year, I actually went to two uh, different um, junior high slash middle schools um, in 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 two years, and so. Um, and so it was very customary for us to pick up, move, and then I'd have to make more friends at a different school. And, um, you know, even though it was hard, um, you know, in my adult life, looking back at those times, it, it really um, shaped me into being able to connect with, with different people. And uh, because when you have to start over in a new school every other year, you're, you're having to start over making friends and relationships. And so, um, so I was pretty good at that um, as far as uh, in middle school. Um, like any other middle schooler, though, uh, middle school is weird, man. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got kids that like look like they're in third grade and then you got kids that look like they're 30. Look like they're running the place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Driving to school. And so. Um, and so that was weird. I was a, a late bloomer, if you will. And so, um, you know, so middle school was, uh, it was a little, it was a little weird for me, but I made it through. But you, you got good at making those connections because yeah. moving around like that, that can be really rough for folks. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then my mom and dad separated when I was 12. Um, they got divorced and, um, and then, you know, that's when, um, you know, things started really, um, my, my family dynamic really changed. Um, my, 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 my mom left. Um, at that time, my little brother was two. Um, my brother and I are 10 years apart. And so when my parents split up, my mom left back to Kenya 
uh, with my little brother, and my dad stayed in the in California with me, and um, and then um, and then also you know my dad uh, got into another relationship soon after that, and then that um, that woman who became my stepmom and her daughter moved in, and so I got to experience what a blended family or whatever. Um, feels like. And that was an adjustment, um, you know, because when you're a kid, um, adults aren't the greatest at communicating what the heck is going on, you know? And so here I am living one life with my mom and my brother. And then, you know, months later, all of a sudden, I'm living uh, with a new sister and a new stepmom with not much explanation in between. Just, Just welcome to the new normal. Exactly. And, and my dad was not the greatest communicator either. It was like, my dad was one of those, like, if he told you the sky was purple with pink polka dots, then that's what it was. Don't question don't, it. Yeah, you don't question it, and you just shut your mouth and, and, and go along. And since then, my dad's calmed down quite a bit. You know, they always do when they get older. But, but uh, yeah, when I was young, he was, yeah. It's amazing how the dads change. Some yes, dads yes. change with age. Yeah, uh, my my mom often says like I'm. I mean, I my dad and I are close, and we get closer with every year and whatever yeah. else. But she's just like, yeah. Between this and when uh-huh. I first met him, right. this dude isn't the same. Exactly. Sometimes I look at my dad playing with my kids. I'm like, who, oh, who oh, are you? Don't get me. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> who are you? You're playing. You're rolling around. You're playing tag, tag. Right. My dad would smoke and just kick us out of the house. Ah. Right. Like you know, there's no playing with you. It's like you know. My, my dad, <laughs> he he coached my little league and stuff like that. And by the way, dad, if you happen upon this, love you. Yeah, yeah. Um, me too. But, me too, dad. But yeah, like the the on the floor. Yeah. And the the, the the grandpa stuff, right? The getting vulnerable, the getting oh. into the pretend games. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Yeah, when I I was so scared when I told my dad I was going to be a stay at home dad because mm-hmm. I did it for five years. Mm-hmm. I was so frightened because I knew what his dad thought what sure. you should be. Sure. And my dad is uh, twelve to fourteen hour a day. Yeah, grind grinding it, out. it. You mm-hmm. know, hard worker. Mm-hmm. And I had this assumption, mm-hmm. and then I come in on it, and mm-hmm. um, he's already. I mean, my son was like what six, seven months old, right. and it's already changed him. And he's got other grandkids that had changed him, and he's like, "You're going to make connections with your son that it took us 15, 20 years to do. That's Absolutely. amazing." And I'm like, "Yeah, who are you? Who are you? Yeah, who are yeah. you? Yeah." So it's interesting, and and you know I think we're changing too. I think I've starting to calm down, and uh, I don't get as fired up as I used to, like in my thirties, in the twenties, and so it it just happens. It's just not worth it. It's not worth. It. I mean, I'm too tired. Bro. Right. I'm too tired. I don't have enough energy. Right. <laughs> as we all do, a collective yawn. You know what I'm yes. Forty nine uh, years old, man. It's a struggle. Too sometimes. much. Too yeah. much. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, high school. Yeah, high school. How was high school? High school was interesting. So I went. I, we were living in Union City, California. Um, I was in the marching band. Yes. And, What'd you play? Uh, What'd I you played play? the baritone horn, and, okay. uh, or the flugabone, for uh, those okay. of you that know. Tenor saxophone. We can. We okay. can hang. Yeah, yeah. Hang. Uh, we were living in Union City, California. I went to this school called James Logan High School. Uh, wonderful school, huge. And um, and it was in. Uh, let's see, in the middle of my tenth grade year. My dad broke some news. See, my dad was just, he, he just would pull the carpet sometimes. So he said, you know what, Tony? Um, we're going to be moving back to Kenya. I'm getting back together with your mom. What? How, how many years? And how many so, so they, they divorced the first time when I was 12. And this is now when I was 15. Oh, my. So I had lived three years with this other woman and daughter thinking that this is now the new family. And then my dad switched it up again and said, psych! <laughs> and yeah. you're at a school, you're yeah. used to it, you're yeah. involved. At, oh, dude, I was in the band. I had a lot of friends. And, you know, you know how it is when you're in school. When you're, when you're, when you're a student, your world is small, right? You know, you, you have your friends, your school, and your hobbies. And that's pretty much it. And uh, all that was, um, was about to change. And, um, oh and I was, uh, I was pretty devastated, you mm-hmm. know, because, um, once again, I did not have any say once again, the communication was poor and, you know, just that old school parenting, you know, just not really getting your kids involved in, in, in what's going on. And so, so we moved to Kenya in the middle, in the middle of my 10th grade year. So right? 16, 
Yeah, I was. I just turned six. I, I was turning sixteen in January. We moved in December over Christmas break, and uh, nineteen eighty nine, I think it was. And um, and then we got to Kenya in January, and um, I was at a new school, and um, this this the adjustment that I had to make. Uh, going to Kenya was was also quite a big adjustment for me because sure. I was pretty much an Americanized kid, and um, and I had to not only adjust to a new school and make new friends like I normally would, but I was doing it in a different country. Uh, I was doing it um, also in a country that I was technically from, right? Right, but still but- felt disconnected. And so the hardest adjustment for me was being amongst my people but not feeling connected to them because I didn't speak the language, right? I lost, I lost the language because I was a baby when we moved here. So Swahili and, and my tribal tongue, Kikuyu, um, I never got to learn them. And so my cousins would always come up to me and they would, you know, they'd ask me, do you speak Swahili, you speak Kikuyu? And I'm like, no, man, I'm from the States. And they would just be like, what? What are you talking? Like they just, they couldn't comprehend that I just, I didn't speak the language. And so just little things like that where I just didn't quite feel like I fit in. Um, but I eventually found my my group. Um, I, I had the pleasure of going to this amazing school called the International School of Kenya. And it's one of those schools where like kids from the embassy, you know, their parents are from the embassy, the kind of the, the, the expatriate types of, of, of kids. Um, Really good private school. Um, met a lot of kids from around the world that I'm still continue to be friends with today. Um, my best friends who are in my wedding, um, you know, were guys I went to high school with, and uh, and we still continue to connect here in the U.S. or wherever. And uh, so it was, it was. And then Kenya also opened up my eyes in a lot of ways because um, I wasn't necessarily taking my education as serious when I was here in the U.S. And uh, you know, it was. You know, we get free education here. Accountability is kind of so-so when it comes to public school, right? And then when I got to private school over there, uh, it was like water was thrown in my face because the students weren't trying to slack off. The students weren't making excuses for not getting their work done. The students were actually studying for their tests. And so I'm looking around like, man, I don't fit in here. I guess I got to do something. So started taking my work a little bit more seriously and that's when I started kind of actually putting more effort into my education because the bar was raised and um and you know there's nothing there's not there's there's no better motivator than public shame nah. so, <laughs> so 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 I was done being publicly shamed looking like the 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 the, the, the dude that didn't do his work and I was like I don't know I don't know you know all of a sudden that's not cool anymore so I had to step it up all right. And yeah. so what year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 92. 92. Yeah. All right. And so I know at some point, because you've got your master's, I know at some point you got your bachelor's. Do you I, go off to school right away? I went off to school right away, and then I dropped out after two years because I found the party life. Oh, so where'd you go for partying? ASU, Central? Oh, no, no. I, went, I, 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 I unfortunately chose a school in Ohio. school was so small, it had maybe like 20,000 uh, kids. Um, it, was, it was in Champaign County, Ohio, which is, you know, I mean, it's flat and there's nothing out there. The town was called Urbana. And uh, Urbana is a very small town in Ohio. And, um, and that's where I started really um, picking up my alcohol use. Um, in high school, when we were in Kenya, uh, there were no drinking ages. Uh, there's no drinking age in Kenya. The, you just basically, if you have money and you walk into any establishment and you can buy alcohol. So I was exposed to alcohol uh, starting at 16. Um, and, and when I say exposed, I don't mean like sneaking your, sneaking your dad's liquor. I'm talking about going to the bar at 16, going to the dance clubs at 16. And, and, you're, and you're drinking and dancing and doing all kinds of you know, stuff that you would do as a 21-year-old. Um, and that was great. And I uh, had a pretty good time, <laughs> I had sure. to say. had a lot of stories, and uh, it was great. Um, what I didn't know was um, I, 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 I planted some seeds that would later 
grow into a pretty debilitating addiction um, because when it was when I was doing it in Kenya and it was fun and we were doing activities um, it was different um, when I got to Ohio again a new school um, and, and I went to a school that was primarily um, black and white there were no international kids I was like one of three international kids oh, wow. um, and and everyone was from the state of Ohio, except the international kids. And so the kids on the weekends would go home. Sure. Why not? Right? And so me and, 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 and two other kids are left on campus every weekend. What are you going to do? Doing nothing. So I did what any other you know young man would do. I went out and found the townies. Sure. And I started making friends with the townies and drinking with the townies. And and, and and I love the townies, but the problem with the townies is they're not always the most motivated people to to to, to move forward. Like, or they're motivated for other things. For other things, they're right? not motivated yeah. in the ways that would be successful for a college student. For a college student. And so what ended up happening actually is um, I, I I dropped out of school because I made so many connections with the folks in town that weren't going to school that um, I, I just couldn't sustain that balance of trying to be their friends and then going to school every day. And, um, and eventually I ended up uh, dropping out and, um, and, and actually staying in Urbana for, I think it was like maybe like six months. And then, um, and then I remember, uh, you know, since I dropped out of school, I was a kid from Kenya at the time. My parents were both in Kenya, so I didn't have anyone in the U.S., especially in Ohio. Yeah, and, um, you know, we had some family friends in California, but they were, you know, pretty disconnected. And so I had to figure this thing out. You know, I was no longer a student, so I didn't have a place to stay because that's where I was staying was on campus. And so, um, so I was homeless for, you know, for about, I don't know, six, seven months. Um, and uh, so I went from uh, being kind of staying in Urbana with the townies, and then that didn't work out. So me and my friend decided to uh, go to Columbus, Ohio. And all we had were our backpacks. And, and of course, you know, your, your, your addiction is continuing to to fester because you're in stressful situations and so now you're drinking more and more and so you know spent about six months just kind of couch hopping and uh you know i was in my early 20s so i was That's kind of bulletproof back right. then and so um and kind of lived that adventure ended up finding a place to stay and uh and then that kind of fell through because you know we were the one of our roommates was trying to sell you know drugs out of the house and so we lost the house and uh, yeah, and this is back. This is 1996, right now. And um, um, before we get too far, mm -hmm. what w did you have a major for your two years? That you're in? Yeah, I was. A, I was a business major, but okay, um, so not quite the same track that you're no, on bro, now. No, bro, I'm not even good at math, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what, kind, what, what am I? You know what I mean? Like All I right. was, you know, I, I was so misinformed. You know, I I thought, oh, if I carried a briefcase and wore a suit, that means I'm successful. <laughs> Like, well, you got to actually pick something you're good at, dude. Right. <laughs> so, so how do we get to, um, cause you eventually, you, were you a teaching assistant? Yeah, man. How do we get to teaching assistant so, from there? So, so in 1996, when, um, when I was in Ohio and I became kind of houseless again, um, the, the, that's when the poop really hit the fan and, um, my mom got involved all the way from Kenya, contacted a, uh, an old, old, old family friend of ours, um, and, uh, and him and I kind of grew up together. He was older than me, but our family's known each other since we moved to Kenya, and they're also part of the story. But anyway, he's like, he calls me up, and he's like, dude, your mom told me, you know, seems like you've been missing, because like, I was one of those people, if I wasn't doing well in my life, I just wouldn't communicate with you. Sure. I right. don't want people to know that. Right, right. And so so I went missing for about a year, and my mom got, you know, really concerned, contacted Mark. And uh, Mark calls me up and goes, dude, let's get you out of Ohio. You know, Ohio seems like a dead end right now. I mean, you're not even in school over there. You know, the opportunities aren't as great. So why don't you come? I'll fly you out to L.A. You can live with me, and we'll get you back on your feet. So I'm like, sweet. So he flies me out to L.A., you know, he's living in Silver Lake, and, you know, we're, we're sharing a place. He's got a buddy that he went to college with who was a principal at this continuation school in the San Fernando Valley. 
And uh, San Fernando Valley is, um, you know, it, it's it's a pretty harsh place because, you know, you've got a lot of folks with low socioeconomic status, um, low access to things, a lot of drug and, and all that stuff going on there. And But he was a principal at the school for, for kids that were in gangs that can't go to those traditional schools, public schools. And so this school was specialized in, in working with those type of kids. Mind you, the only work I'd ever done with kids before that was being a camp counselor at a summer camp. But, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I'll, you know I need to work. I need the money. So I took on the job and became um, uh, kind of like this teaching assistant and um, got to really work with some some kids that had some pretty complex traumas, a lot of gang involvement. Um, you know, violence was was an everyday thing. Drugs was an everyday thing. Uh, not them necessarily doing it, but being exposed to it by either parents or family members, friends. And so, I, these and, and and remember, I went to this international school of Kenya with all these, you know, kids that uh, parents were in the embassy and worked for Coca Cola and things like that. And and then I got to, and then working with these kids from the San Fernando Valley, a lot of kids of color, a lot of kids that were poor, it really, again, opened my perspective on, on a lot of things about life. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I stayed in L.A. for, ooh, from 96 to 98, and just a couple of years, and then, uh, and then that's... And mind you, I'm still drinking. I was I was just yeah. about to ask because yeah. 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 you said we're going to get you out. Yeah. Did that end it? I well, I was curious. Well, let me tell the world a secret. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Oh. Your addiction will follow you. No. It does. Even on the plane. Oh dang! I didn't know it could fly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. okay. So, so you're so positive things are happening. Positive but, things are happening. Uh, would, but would I'm you still consider? Drinking. A functioning alcoholic? I'm a functioning alcoholic. I'm going to work every day, but, you know, on occasion I'll be late or I'll have a, air quote, flat tire or something right. like that. Um, rough morning. <laughs> a rough morning. But, you know, primarily I, I was able to keep the job. Um, you know, but it, but but you know how addiction creeps in, right? At first it starts off small and then it slowly takes over your life, right? And um, And so, you know, back then I even remember, you know, there's a there's a there's a saying if if you if if you have a group of friends and you're all drinking if for some reason you're always the one with the best stories then you might have the problem right right if, if you right. have the best stories oh man remember the time we went to jail oh man remember the time that we crashed the car oh you know it's like you know those that's those are some red flags there. Yeah. You had to yeah. do some stuff had to, do to some get stu- the story. Yeah, to get the story. And so um, I was able to um, kind of maintain, but I, I was still struggling. I was drinking every day. Um, and I, I was the kind of drinker where I drank to get drunk. Um, it, was, it was masked in a social way, um, but it was, it was definitely ready. Um, it, was, it, was about, it was about trying to reach that inebriation state. And, um, and so... Uh, and so I kind of existed in L.A., um, had a few relationships down there that uh, went sideways because another thing that a lot of folks don't know is that when you're in an addiction, the people that you attract are going to be equally yoked as you, right? right. And sure. so and so because it's, it's hard to be in an addiction and attract a 10. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah. and so um, and so I was uh, I was attracting folks that were just as or women that were just as damaged as I was, and so it was no mystery why the relationships weren't working. I mean, heck, if I'm drinking all the time and you've got borderline personality disorder, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> it just ain't gonna work. It's hard to communicate <laughs> and work on relationship <laughs> issues. Why didn't we see that problem? Ah. <laughs> oh. You're not on your meds, and I'm drunk all the right. time. Hmm. <laughs> you're on. You're off stuff, and I'm on stuff. This isn't gonna work. Yeah. So, um, so it was. It was pretty wild. Um, and so, uh, L.A. You know, it was a dead end. I was. I was making like, God, I think I was making like seven dollars and something cents an hour. This is back in '96, and uh, and so I, I needed a change. And L.A. was starting to also get toxic. Um, back then I did not have enough knowledge to know that, yes, it was inside of me. And so I left LA. Um, and I'm glad I did because LA in and of itself, if you've ever spent a lot of time in LA, it's, it's a, it's a tough place to live because everything is so spread out. There's so much traffic and, um, there's just a different sense of, uh, 
I don't know. It's, people are always searching for the next best thing down there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I kind of got tired of, of, of kind of chasing um, and, and, and kind of felt like I wasn't going anywhere. So uh, I was in this relationship with the gal that, um, that I met at the school, uh, and, um, and we started getting serious. And uh, she got accepted to the University of Washington in their social work program. And, um, and I wanted out of L.A. And, uh, you know, we thought we could make it work. So we moved up here together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this is now, now this is 1998, close to 1999. And um, the relationship was a very, very toxic one. Uh, like I said, uh, mental health disorders, addiction. Uh, we were both had a lot of baggage. And so um, the relationship didn't last very long once we got up here. Um, and so, uh, and so she went her separate way, I went mine. But the good news was is that um, I was in Washington, and this is where I've been ever since. Now, the struggle got really real um, uh, um, after um, we broke up, and because um, once again, I'm in a new place, I'm trying to start over. A little bit of depression. A little bit of depression, anxiety, um, and so uh, drinking became my one and only coping mechanism. And, um, and so not only was I drinking every day, um, I was drinking a lot. And, uh, and, and then um, enter cocaine. And uh, because, you know, any good alcoholic knows, you start snorting some cocaine, you could really, you know, finish the party. And so, but, and, but I got uh, addicted to that as well. And so, you know, for a while there, I was this kind of quasi-functioning, um, you know, person that would go to work, uh, get off at around three, because I was still working in schools back then, get off at three, and then be at the bar from 3.30 to like 11 o'clock. I would pull longer bar shifts. That's your work day. Yeah, I would pull longer bar shifts than work shifts, and I would do that every single day day. Wow. And I mean that. I was a daily drinker. And when you're a daily drinker, when you don't have any in your system, you go through withdrawals, as you know. And uh, and so, um, you know, I've been to detox probably three or four times. Um, I've had alcohol poisoning quite a few times. Um, you know, bu- uh, fights, um, arrests, DUI, uh, loss of jobs, loss of relationships. Um, that all happened in between, uh, 1998 and 2007. Um, wow. That is, that's when I finally got sober. That is a stretch. Yeah. And, and, and anyone that has been on this journey knows that it gets worse towards the end. And so towards the end, um, I was, I was, um, I wasn't eating. Um, I'd lost my job. Um, I was, I was, uh, I was dying. Let's just put it. Let's just put it plainly. I was I was dying uh, in slow motion, and uh, and you know it 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 never dawned on me that, and I didn't learn this until um, later on when I was in treatment treatment when I took it seriously that my drinking was a symptom of what was really going on underneath. No one ever bothered to tell me that, right? I just thought that. Drinking was just something that you did, and there was no real reasonings behind it, right? Because I started so young. I didn't know it, it was a coping skill. I didn't know it was because I was trying to mask and cover up other pains in my life. And I've, and I've shared with you some of those pains, right? You know, having to move around, your dad not being very communicative, you know, and, you know, and then there's obviously other stories in there of trauma. And so... Um, and so when I learned that, that it was a coping skill, um, it opened my eyes to what was really going on inside me. And that was a whole bunch of anxiety. That was a whole bunch of depression. That was a whole bunch of not feeling good enough. That was a whole bunch of shame because I, had to, I dropped out of school after two years in Ohio, and I had still not gone back at this point, right? Yeah. And so... For those of us that have dropped out of school and, 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 and haven't gone back yet, you know how that just sits with you and it just never never leaves you, you know? And, 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 and like, especially like if you're sitting around with your friends and they're talking about college or something and then you're like, fuck, I didn't, you know, 
you know? you're the dropout. You're the dropout. You're 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 the screw up. Yeah, yeah. And um and I really started identifying with that black sheep role. Um and uh and so it 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 was hard. It was it was pretty dark for 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 quite a long time there in between 98 and 2007. Um uh because, you know, towards the end I stopped caring about anything. You know, I'd lost my job, I'd lost my relationship, my DUI, I crashed my car. Um, you know, I was living in my apartment um and uh living off of my you know little savings account that i had and uh and i remember my mom actually flew from kenya so 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 you're hitting bottom yeah i'm hitting bottom you're hitting bottom and your mom from an ocean two continents yes all the way on the other side yes goes yeah need to help my baby yep so that's been a constant theme too of my mom kind of just coming in and she has this sixth sense of knowing when there's something wrong with me. It's to this day, like she'll call me up and be like, how are you doing? And Isn't I'm that like, creepy? It's weird. Isn't that creepy? It like I got a so feeling. Weird. You're like, how did you get a feeling? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I've experienced it myself. So, yeah. so she flies out. So she flies out and um, she, mind you, she hadn't seen me probably for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And uh, she, she finds me in my apartment. My apartment has bottles of Monarch vodka, empty everywhere cigarettes um you know towards the end i was i would go to the liquor store um in the morning and uh, get a bottle and and i would finish that bottle before 12 p.m just to just to get the the hair off the dog you know and um and and so she comes and i was so weak at that point um i wasn't even able to hardly like stand on my feet or my legs because i was so shaky um i remember those days even trying to take a shower i'd have to like lean against the wall because i couldn't i didn't have enough strength to even hold myself up and so she 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 arrives and sees her son in the worst condition that uh, i've ever been in i was like a i mean i'm a, I'm a 200 pound dude i was a buck 30 Oof. Okay. Well, because you're not eating. Because I'm not, not taking eating. Care of I'm not. And it was to the point where I would drink alcohol and get sick. If I didn't drink alcohol, I'd get sick. And so I was in that vicious, weird place. And um, and so she nursed me back to health. You know, she she walked to the grocery store and would buy me fruit and oatmeal, because that's all I could take down. And uh, for a whole week, uh, she she's the one who did the detox. And uh, I, ha- I remember filling up, we had, I had this little garbage can next to the couch, and I filled that thing up with puke for days. Whoa. I mean, I was, I was, I was that bad off. Um, and then, um, and then I've, she finally nursed me back to health. Um, I was supposed to pack up my apartment, but I didn't have enough strength to do that, so she hired some movers to pack up my apartment for me. She uh, she hired them to go put all of my things in storage. She, um, my mom is a very godly woman. Huh? In fact, she's a pastor at a, a, a Solid Faith Ministries in Kenya. And, um, and I remember her praying for me every morning and every night. And I mean like hours long prayers because I'd be in the other room just like, detoxing and twitching and just throwing up and then I could hear her in there just like pleading with God to help her son right and uh you know it's it was really um it was it was really tough to 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 see her go through that you know um I was always the type of person where you know if 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 stuff was happening to me it was much easier pill to swallow but but when you're but when you see your 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 mom or somebody you love um, suffering because of choices you've made, it makes you feel even worse, right? Um, and so, and this is 2007, and um, and so finally, um, you know, I'm ready to move out of the apartment. My mom has found uh, a six-month treatment center. She was talking to one of her church friends, and this was back when the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Centers we're, we're still um, open and flourishing, and there's one in Seattle, and it's a free program where 
Individuals show up with just the clothes on their back. They're provided everything. They're provided room, board, clothing. Uh, you just have to be able to meet the requirements of the program. Well, I read they take your clothes? They take your clothes and put them in storage, and you don't get those clothes back until you graduate or get kicked out. And um, and because what the, the, the point is is that they want everyone to start off on a level playing field, right? Some people come in, they've got, like, you know, Louis Vuitton bags, and, you know, and then some people come in with a garbage bag. Well, guess what? Neither one of you get to wear your clothes anyway, so... They all go up to storage, and you're wearing um, you're wearing the clothes from the thrift store. You're also working in the warehouse, uh, where all of the donations get processed, and um, and uh, and you do that every day. And then in the evening, you get your programming, whether that's chapel, one-on-one counseling, group counseling. You're required to go to AA meetings in the community with a buddy. Um, very strict, like very strict. Shirts tucked in, haircut, the whole thing, right? And, um, and so that, that gave me time because before I would, I'd been to like sundown and ranch and Sela for like 28 days and yeah, that was nothing but a vacation. You know, right. I mean, it's so You're nice. You're playing the there. game. Yeah. I'm playing the game. I wasn't really motivated, but the mm-hmm. last stint at the Salvation Army, I had truly hit my bottom. You know, I thought I was going to die, you know? And, um, so I was finally, as they say, ready and, um, and I never looked back, you know. I, I, I not only learned a lot about recovery and, and myself and why I, I was doing the things I was doing, but I also learned how to grow up because a lot of us addicts that had started like I did at 16 and then only grew, we become emotionally uh, stunted, you know. And so a lot of my, uh, a lot of the ways that I would uh, approach life um, really were sharpened um you know for example like you know having those uh, living in those intangibles like integrity and honesty and uh you know when you say you're going to do something like i'm going to help you move tomorrow guess what you're going to wake your ass up and go help him move right you 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 and 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 when you're in an addiction that is that's something that you're horrible at you know you 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 tell half truths you lie you don't follow through on anything and 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 so i had to learn all of those things as well yeah 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 when well, you're you're in a program that is giving you some purpose yes right you've got a task to do every day and yes. you're giving back to the community yes. in that task yep. and then you have no free time and i have no free time <laughs> and 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 this goes without saying and i hope you guys definitely emphasize this for this podcast is that's where i found my relationship with God. And, and, and I say relationship, not, not relationship with religion, not relationship with the, with, with the scripture, but relationship with God. And that's where I found out for the first time that God doesn't have a clipboard with a checklist of all of your mess ups. Mm. God doesn't have this thing on, oh, Tony messed up again. You know, he's de- he's definitely not getting in here. Well, you know? well, well, that's first rung. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's not as bad as the right. seventh ring of hell, but, <laughs> right. but he's down there. Yeah, I, 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 I thought, and some people still think this, and if you do, that's fine, but I thought there was like this criteria that I was not meeting in order to even be accepted by God. Right. And so I, th- I because remember, I was drinking because of my anxiety and my and my, my low self-esteem. And so that just added to the narrative of me not being good enough, not even for God. And um, and I remember talking to a pastor and he sat me down and he was like, Tony, don't you know that God loves you just as much right now in your suffering and in your bottom he loves you just as much right now as he does when you are on top of the world and you are just moving and shaking and, and doing everything right. I, I, I thought it was based off of a, like a merit system. And, um, and so finding that out that I was you know, loved and accepted by God and Christ and um, without any conditions really um, started removing the shame. Yeah, because shame was... Um, Shame is a killer, man. It's 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 you know it's not guilt. Shame is something that you wear, and guilt is something that you feel. And uh, and shame, it, it was, it was hard to get rid of that. And uh, but I did because, um, you know, I just kept doing what was in front of me. You know, I started listening. You know, I started being more teachable and uh, and 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 more open to other ways of doing things. You know, instead of trying to like tweak it. And you know, I'm the master of. 
oh, I can make that better. Or I can, you know, well, we can, we can just not do that. And then we can just do it that way, you know? And, and I finally had to realize like, man, my way's not working, man. I gotta, I gotta start listening to somebody. And, uh, and so, and then the fellowship, right? You're there with 98 other men, mm-hmm. uh, cause it was a large program. And, um, and so just being in the struggle and in a fight with other people, uh, really motivated me to not give up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I still have so many, so many relationships from recovery. Um, you know, after I got, after I graduated the Salvation Army program, I went in, my, my, my sober, my sobriety date is July 3rd, 2007. Um, I'm coming up on 16 years, but, um, but I had to do it in a very methodical way. Like after treatment, I went and lived in Oxford House for two and a half years. Right. I wanted to, you know, we wanted, really wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to go backwards. Um, and then I started working for the treatment center that I got sober in. And so the Salvation Army hired me as their intake coordinator. So that's the start. That was the start of my social services right. type of career. Because before then I had only worked in education buildings. And, um, and, and I failed to mention, in between 1998 and 2007, when I was in Washington struggling, I attempted to go back to school two more times and dropped out because... Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when, and, when you're that deep in an addiction, <laughs> yeah. it takes over everything. There's n- yeah. nothing else you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, and so I tried to go back to I tried to I started Antioch back in 2006 and dropped out. And then I started again in 2007 and dropped out. And um, and oh, no, two, no, it was 2005 and 2006, I think. And um, and then so, um, you know, th- that was something I was able to go back and complete. So once I graduated the program, was living in Oxford House, that's when I went back to school. And when I went back to school, and this is 2008 now, and so I went back and finished the rest of my bachelor's degree that I didn't finish at Antioch University. But this time, I got it with a teaching certificate because Antioch had a program where if you didn't finish your bachelor's, you can finish your bachelor's get your bachelor's degree, but then if you take the education route, you can become a Washington State certified teacher. So I took a bunch of classes in early childhood development, behavior management, blah, 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 blah. Um, mind you, I was already working in schools, so it was, it was really easy to me. Um, but then I was also working at the Salvation Army as this intake coordinator. So as I'm going towards this bachelor's degree teaching certificate, and then I'm working in the Salvation Army, I realized after I graduated that I didn't want to work with kids anymore. I was done. Isn't that great timing? Right? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, what, what, what am I going to do? do? And so I talked to a few colleagues, and they said, you know, have you ever considered, you know, getting a master's degree in, in, in some type of a counseling? And I looked more into it. And uh, so in Antioch had a, a mental health program. So I just decided to just continue on in school and three more years and got my master's. Wow. Uh, what is your master's in? My master's is, it, it's a, I'm a licensed mental health therapist. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's just in general kind of like... A, I've got it? a funky one too. Yeah, Own it. it. It's is, okay. It? <laughs> Liberal arts or something like that? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Applied behavioral or sciences or, or well, Actually, I guess it's a master's in counseling. Okay. I think about it. Yeah, it's a master's in counseling. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and then, you know, in the meantime... Uh, you know, I, I rekindled some things with a past relationship. Um, my wife and I uh, had different chapters in our in our knowing each other. There was chapter one, the Old Testament. Uh-huh. The rough one. The rough one. Right. Where right. she was trying to chase me around Seattle as I was drinking and snorting cocaine in every pub I could. The one where you're like, I don't know if we're reading that book. I don't know if I'm teaching my kid that one. He can find that in college. Right. And then and then she finally left me because I was just, you know, I was just too much to, to be with. And then that's when I, you know, when she left me, that was part of my bottom. And um, and uh, let's see, she left me in 2006. And um, and then I got sober in 2007, graduated 2008. I looked her up in 2009. Um, I just went to her school and showed up. Jeez, oh, that was bold. I know. That's just, that's yeah. Bold is a word. After after like three years of not really communicating, I just show up, 
and um, <laughs> not knowing if she had a boyfriend, not knowing if she was married, not knowing if she maybe had kids. Can we get some of her friends <laughs> on the line to see how that reaction was? He did. Who did? What? what? It was funny because because when the when the office lady called her classroom, she goes, um, "Yeah, there's a Tony here to see you." <laughs> And she goes, and she said on the other line, she was like, what? Who the hell is talking? Right, right, right. And then and then her next question was, and I, I, I'm being dead on, she said the next question she asked was, is he black? <laughs> and, the, and the lady up front was like, yes, he is. <laughs> There's a pause. Is this appropriate for me to answer this question? I mean, it'll she inform. Was trying, yeah. She's trying to narrow it down. <laughs> And so, but you know, is it black Tony? Yeah, is it or black Caucasian Tony, Tony, is it Caucasian Tony or Asian Tony? I was like, which yeah. Tony is it? Yeah, and so, and so, and so she came out, and um, and the rest is history, man. I took her out on a few dates, and um, the cool thing about it was, I had done all this work on myself in the three years that we hadn't seen each other, um, you know, getting stronger relationship with God. You know, um, being a more dependable, reliable, sober person, uh, you know, furthering my education. I even looked healthier, you know, like, sure. oh, my gosh. And um, and but the, the, the cool thing was, is that in the three year time, she also had done some work on herself and she started going to church and she, you know, she stopped messing around, going to the bars and doing all the stuff we used to do um, and kind of really simplified her life. And. I don't know, man. I think it was kind of destiny that um, that our paths crossed again, and uh, and so you know, we're still married to this day. Just celebrated 13 years, and uh, we've got two daughters. I've uh, uh, got a a 13 year old and an 11 year old. Well, she'll be 11 in June uh, with her, and uh, and and I have an older daughter too that I um, from a, a, an earlier relationship in Washington. Uh, she's 17. Um, and, uh, but me and her mom are good and, um, you know, and that's all because of, 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 of the changes that I made because both of these women knew me when I was in my addiction and they both loved me, but I was just too crazy for them. And yeah, good uh, on her for yeah. being healthy enough to get out. Exactly. Especially my, my first, the daughter, the, the, the mother of my first daughter, um, you know, she, she, you know, when her and I hooked up, I was really, really, really into it and she. She, you know, she 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 had to separate herself from me. But over the years, you know, she continued to let me have a relationship with with my oldest. And That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so her and I are really good now. And uh, she's such a smart kid. And, you know, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. What what an amazing story. Thank you for yeah sharing yeah. that with yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't. Yeah, it's it's funny. I haven't told that in a little while. Um, <laughs> you know, because you just kind of you know you. You just kind of handle what's in front of you day by day, but it's nice going backwards sometimes, seeing where you came from. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Feeling comfortable enough to, to yeah. do that. It's not yeah. always a comfortable thing. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, but, you know, it makes you us don't, You don't know me that well. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> We're not it, old friends. It makes us better, you know, because I, I, I wouldn't take back anything, to be honest with you. You know, I, I, you know, even though that I was, you know, pretty much on the porch of hell for, for <laughs> some time, but I wouldn't take it back because, let me tell you, the people that I'm able to connect with in my therapy sessions, yeah. I mean, if you if you looked at my caseload, I have kids, adults, males, females, couples, seniors, people of all walks of life, all gender identities, and um, that's because of my story. That's because from since I was a little kid, I've had to change schools and make new friends and and, and, and having to find out about this thing called recovery, and it's really helped me. So um, so let's, let's talk about mm -hmm. this stage of your life. I got a quote. Yes. I'm going to quote you. Quote me. I'm going to quote you because I, I found a Seattle Times article that's as deep as I could oh, dig. That's you found deep, the article. That's as deep <laughs> as I could dig, man. There's not a lot on you. But so the quote, as we get into this next phase, yeah. is... If a building was on fire uh -huh. and I knew how to get out, uh -huh. but I ran out without telling anyone else, uh -huh. what good is that? Woo! Did they quote you right? They did. Is that quote an accurate right. quote? That's an accurate quote. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Even back then, I was very, yeah, yeah. That's, 
Because that's how I felt, man. I was, I was, when I was working at the Salvation Army as the intake coordinator, I mean, you're seeing people at ground zero. Like, when people come in and you're the intake person, they are like... Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is, you're, you're, you're possibly... They're there for a reason. Yeah. And you're talking to somebody possibly in the worst state of they've ever been in in their life. Right. And, and we all know how hard it is to ask for help. And, and that's why I have so many connections in the recovery community. You know, I've, I've kept so many relationships of people that I've helped or people that went through the Salvation Army program because I worked there for five years, too. I mean, I, I put my time in there. And um, but um, yeah, it was it was it was a, one of the it was an unforgettable time. You know, I, I, I wasn't making a lot of money, but but I think that was because I, I wasn't there yet. You know, and, and, and what I've learned is, you know, if, if you can handle a little, then you'll be given more and then you'll be given more and you'll be given more. And I and I wasn't ready to handle a lot. You know, if I would have landed a teaching job that was I was getting paid thirty dollars an hour, I might have relapsed. Sure. And so 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 I had to stay humble. I had to stay uh, in that in that place for a while so I could really get an understanding of, you know, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so you worked there five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was this the next step? What did you do after the five? No, bro. Let's see. So I worked there for five. And <laughs> Get then, me here. Take me then, on the journey. I'm taking you on the journey. Yeah. And then, um, and then I worked. I left the Salvation Army, and then I worked for Evergreen Treatment Services in Seattle for this program called LEAD, and LEAD stands for Law Enforcement uh, Assisted Diversion. And okay. what that is, is a, it's an outreach case management type of program that works with first responders, mainly police. And um, police have the option of referring an individual to this program instead of arresting them. Oh, because wow. the program was built for folks that are kind of low-level drug offenders, you know, trespassing, right. crimes of poverty kind of things. and Could easily get into jail. For right. the low-level stuff that right. they might just need assistance right. with right. to get on track. Exactly. And so they've realized that sending these folks to jails doesn't work. And so right. programs like ours were created. So I worked as a case manager there for, I don't know, probably about two and a half, maybe three years. And I carried a caseload. I would literally go out into the community with a backpack and a phone. And I'm engaging people in alleyways. Um, I'm engaging people down um, Pioneer Square, you know, saying, you know, hey, you know, uh, do you need some services? Do you know, you know, are you interested in treatment? How about some new shoes? You know, anything that you can do to engage these people so they can maybe start looking at their addiction in a way that, hey, if, 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 if this person can help me get into housing or if I can get a job, then maybe addiction is less appealing, right? Because a lot of folks use because they're trying to mask or just get through life through, sure you know and so um so that's what i did for for uh, for about three years and then from there um i did a short stint at king county drug court as a case manager and um that didn't work out as well um you know nothing against drug court at all it's just a different model and it just sure. didn't work out so um so i left there um and this was 2000 and this was 2015, I think. Um, and this was also right around the time we were starting to talk about the Recovery Cafe. Um, but I was not working here yet because it was just an idea back then. Um, and so from there, um, from drug court, um, I started my private practice. And, Woo! Um, yeah. Making money. I had one client. <laughs> Still, <laughs> and um, and I wasn't on any insurance boards yet, and so I couldn't even charge what right. I wanted to. But right. you know, but you know, you you you're doing it because you need to get your name out there. Yeah. So yeah. so the first few clients I had, you know, I was charging you know fifty bucks, thirty bucks. Yeah, man, this is a steal. This <laughs> guy's is good and he's cheap. <laughs> no man, but you got to start somewhere. Suddenly you start getting clients, and you're like, uh oh, yeah. The word got out, and I'm still not charging enough. Right, and so and so in and, and so I was starting that and that was a slow process starting a new practice and so I got a different job at Greater Lakes Mental Health in Lakewood and I also worked there for about five years and I started off as just a case uh, a therapist too carried a caseload of about 70 people 
Um, they schedule your people for you. You see like seven to eight people a day. It's a Ooh. grind. But I was about to say, that's a churn. Grind. But it's a great way to get your postgraduate hours if you want sure. to become fully licensed. <laughs> sure. so, so that's why I was there. But that, that, that that's the recipe for burnout it, right it is. there. It is. And so I did that. And then um, and then in the Greater Lakes program, um, I kind of climbed the ladder. Uh, I was a therapist too. Then I became a therapist three then I became a team lead and crisis worker, and then um, and then they hired me to become uh, one of the forensics managers that worked with. Um, and so my primary job was I managed a team of ten people that worked with um, Pierce County Mental Health Court. And Pierce County Mental Health Court are individuals that have co- committed a pretty pretty bad felony, and because it's a felony mental health court. So we're talking assault. We're talking you know big big time stuff and but because um, they had such a an acute mental health problem that they wouldn't uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't work just to put them to jail and so instead they try to give them this program where they get a ton of support and mental health treatment um, in the community and they go to court every week to be accountable they have UAs the whole bit right and if they fall out of compliance or they get in too much trouble, then guess what? You get to go back to jail. Um, so I did that for a while, and I managed a team that worked um, with, with those kind of clients. And um, and then, you know, just kind of got tired of the red tape bureaucracy of, of, yeah. of working in agencies. And, um, and that's what led me to the Recovery Cafe. Okay, so you're not living in Ording. I am. Oh, you are at that yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we moved to Ording when... When I started working for drug court back in 2000, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And so, so you're you're established in Oregon. Yeah, we're established. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So what? How'd they get you? Because because I'm looking at all this and I'm like, uh-huh. you, you got a guy that's got experience on the street. Yeah. You got a guy that's got experience in the professional world. Right. Master's degree. Yeah. Life experience. Yeah. Like yeah. as, I've never. Been well, no, I have been on a hiring committee for something. Uh-huh. Hiring committee, uh-huh. I'm just like chomping at the bit. Like, how do we get this guy? How do we rip him from yeah. wherever he is? Well, that's what Rena did because when I was talking to Rena, and um, because when I when you know back back when we started the cafe, I think six years ago, um, we were a very small kind of uh, idea. Um, you know, that was birthed from uh, a rash of overdoses that happened in Ording. Yeah, yeah, and, and they were pretty bad, uh, heroin overdoses. And so the community was pretty outraged, and there was town hall meetings, and what are we going to do, and blah, 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 blah. And so the pastor of the church here across the street at the time um, wa- was, was, was trying to come up with ways to kind of address this issue. And he's the one that actually, um, uh, you know, started doing research on recovery cafes and all of that. And um, it was actually kind of a big old coincidence to me because back when I was at the Salvation Army back in 2007, I used to go to the first recovery cafe ever in Seattle. Wow. It was just one cafe in the whole state, in the whole existence. Now, there are over 34 cafes around the country and in British Columbia. It is a network. And so it kind of came full circle for me. I was like, well, I've heard of the Recovery Cafe, and that was pretty cool. And so he approached me because he found out that I was a, um, a counselor. Um, and so what he wanted to do was formulate a board of professionals. So like I was a counselor at the time there was an attorney on the board at the time there was someone that worked for Molina Healthcare. And so he wanted to get as much variety as possible to start this board to birth this idea called the Recovery Cafe. Yeah. And so I've been on the board ever since. And so what do you do here? What is what is the Recovery Cafe for those that don't know? Yes, man. The Recovery Cafe is this kind of grassroots uh, social community agency. Um, the idea is, first of all, uh, recovery is defined by the individual. And so we don't believe in prescribing what someone should do to get well. Because what we want to do is support 
what you are already doing or would like to do to get well. And so, for example, we offer, and, and, and we have four different programs, and I'll go over the programs, but our cafe is the adult side, and here we offer circle groups where people can come, they can talk about what their struggle is, they can talk about what they're celebrating, and then they create a goal for themselves between now and next session. Um, so that's, those are circle groups. We also have School for Recovery, where they're more kind of deliberate on having an agenda, like School for Recovery Grief Series, where folks could come in, and that's what we're doing right now, a grief series so people that have lost someone close to them they could come in and with a with a recovery coach kind of go over some grief coping skills being able to share their grief in a safe space we also have um, a trauma group we have a yoga class we have meals that we serve um, every day um, we offer one-on-one -on -one case management support so if the group isn't working and you need something more a little bit more concentrated we can do that as well um, we work with the veterans, and so uh, two times a week, uh, two of our recovery coaches will go to the small village, the veteran small village here at the soldiers' home, and we do a recovery circle there. Um, on Thursdays, we go and pick them up and bring them here, and it's so cool having the vets here. I bet. Oh, man. Uh, we love the vets. And so when they come in and we give them, you know, good meal, and then they get to come in and feel, and it's only for veterans, because one thing I do know about serving veterans is, you know, they, they, do, they do better when they're with each other, uh, because... Um, it's different. No one, yeah, no one really understands what, yeah. what, what a veteran has been through, especially a, a combat veteran. Oh, combat veteran. Yeah. I yeah, mean. Yeah. And so. How, how could we? Yeah. And one of our recovery coaches is a vet. And so so that helps the, in the connection and, and, and making us legitimate. Um, and so that's the cafe side. And the cafe, um, you know, and we have activities. We, we work with the community. Like, for example, we, we, we're partnering with the Bonnie Lake Food Bank so we can get lockers out here so, so clients can come up and pick up food or whatever at their uh, at, at the time that they want, right? And so let's say we put a bunch of groceries in the locker. Uh, we, we text the client the code to get into that locker and then they can come at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. You know, wow. Yeah. They can come at whatever time at their convenience. That's fantastic. There's less shame. There's sure. less, you know, because, you know, and so, so we work with Bonnie Lake. We've got partnerships with, um, the first responders in our area. Um, and so, um, and that has been formulated by our other program. We have four called the Recovery Navigator Program. That's the, that's the program that I manage. And so we have um, a team of six right now, and what their jobs are is to go out into the community to engage folks that uh, could use services. But we do that in a couple different ways. Um, we've formulated relationships with the local police departments and courts. So we appear in Ording Court, we appear in Sumner, Puyallup, um, Bonnie Lake sometimes, and um, because what happens is, you know, someone's getting charged with something, whatever. The judge knows that we're there. The judge is like, you know, I'm going to suggest that you talk to these lovely people over here. Suggest. Suggest, yeah, yeah. Wink, like, yeah. nudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't make them, but they but, suggest. But a suggestion from a judge, Yeah. you're going to want to go ahead and do that. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and so, Just in case I'm in front of that judge again. Exactly. I did exactly what you said. Exactly. <laughs> And once they find out what we are, because we're not prescriptive, we're not going to sit here and say, no, you can't do that, and no, you can't do that. All we ask is that you have 24 hours clean and sober before you come in, or at least not come in under the influence, right? Because we understand that, you know, if someone's hooked on an opiate, you know, to ask them to stay, you know, 24 hours completely sober is difficult. And so we'll say things like, you know, if you if you got well in the morning and you're, and you're operational, you know, uh, you know, we can, you know, we can come in and give you a once over and, and see if you're, you know, suitable for group today. Um, but mainly we just ask for, you know, at least, you know, like 12, 24 hours of, of recovery. So you just don't come in drunk and faded because that throws off everything. And for anybody who has the opportunity, the vibe here is legit. Yeah. The vibe here is fantastic. That's I've been purpose. here twice now. Yeah, 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 and yeah. just just overall, I won't go into specifics, but just yeah. overall the vibe here yeah. is fantastic. Thank like you. I like 
It's comfortable. Yeah, that's by design. It's it's so yeah. comfortable here. Yeah, what separates the recovery cafe model and a lot of other models is we want real stuff, right? Because in a lot of places that you go for recovery, you get the styrofoam coffee out of the pot. You're sitting on the folding chair with the folding table in the bottom of a basement of a church somewhere. There is a model. Yeah. <laughs> there is a model for all of that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and thank goodness those places are out there because mm-hmm. we all need to go somewhere. But we wanted to make sure that when someone walks through the door for example our coffee stand is right at the front right. door you get awesome. offered and a, coffee and, a, and an old safe sitting right yeah, there man. that yeah, safe yeah. is cool man. yeah yeah real furniture real dishes real forks um real people and so that's because we want the person to feel comfortable and cozy mm. and appreciated yeah when it seems like you, you talked about um you know not having an exact prescription for recovery and how mm-hmm. it happens mm-hmm. and my first thought was well that's really different to how you mm-hmm. recovered because yes. it was really but yes. you also went through multiple things to get yes. there so yes. you it, speaking for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but mm-hmm. in, in in my mind mm-hmm. you went through that entire experience yes. of having to go through multiple ways Ways, yes to find out yeah that way is really strict but Mm -hmm. that's what worked that's what worked and that's what we're open to exactly and that's what we mean by recovery is not prescriptive because we want to start off with where are you at we want to meet you where you're at what are your goals what are you hoping for we also believe in harm reduction right so maybe someone's not ready to stop their i don't know marijuana use but they want to get off of the heroin great you know, we can support you in that. And we're not going to judge you because you still want to use marijuana. We just ask you, you don't come in here and use it. But um, but we're not going to judge you for that. Um, and, and we find that it's much more attractive that way. You know, right? Like, I mean, of course people are going to want to come through the doors if we're, you know, if we're being more open about what they want as opposed to like, follow these 12 steps <laughs> or die. Force the stuff that isn't. <laughs> Yeah. Working for you and yeah. you aren't ready for yeah. it. Yeah. And but we are open to the twelve steps. So don't don't get it don't get it twisted. Like, you know, if someone says, you know what, abstinence is the only way I can do it, boom, let's do it. let's go. Let's roll. You know, I know about that too. You know, and so yeah, it's it's client driven. That's fantastic. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We have the youth program. We serve youth from 13 to 18, and that's at the cafe. Uh, we have another cafe across the street from us. And so we primarily serve youth in, from the Ording High School. And the great thing about Ording is everything is in walking distance. So the high school, the middle school, the, the elementary school, it's all in walking distance from city center. So the kids at 2.30 migrate from the high school. we got a D&D club in there, man. We there serve go. food. we got all the video game consoles you could imagine. And it's just a safe space for those kids that don't fit into those boxes like mm. I'm a wrestler, I'm a football player, I'm a, you know, right. and so we, we designed it for those kids that don't have those places. And so that's, that's happening. That's, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then our last program is a prevention program, which is we have, um, we have a curriculum and we work with the Ording School District on um, getting the word of prevention out there to the kids, right? Like talking about the dangers of vaping and what it really does. And, mm. um, you know, so it's more educational. Kind of more psychoeducation about um, okay. about things. So yeah. Um, so since we don't since, since we don't video, but I'm look I'm looking at your sweatshirt as, uh-huh. as you're talking about all of these things that yeah. Recovery Cafe does and your story and everything else. I'm looking at the sweatshirt mm-hmm. and the logo is just mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. So so it's a um, it's a building mm-hmm. over a heart mm-hmm. with three people in it, mm-hmm. and so all of this it seems like. Safety, security, because mm-hmm. you've got the roof over. Absolutely, you got a place to be safe. Yep. And out of the elements, whatever those elements are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, metaphorical or not, mm-hmm. you got love mm-hmm. and acceptance with the heart. Yes, like, I'm giving chills. Like yes. there's a lot of love in this place. We and that because love conquers everything, you know. And I know love is, you know, it's, it's underrated these days because of the darkness out there. But I mean, you know, when you love on somebody and and you let them know that, that you see them without judgment and you use compassion, I mean, if you're trying to help somebody, how other how else is there to do it? I mean, you know. And so that's that's what we believe in. Yeah. And then and then three people in the middle, yeah. with their arms around each other. Absolutely. If you look close, arms yes. around each other, yeah. so that community camaraderie yes. and and even more of that safety like we got you we got like you. i'm feeling that person yeah. in the middle yeah like you came in yes we've been there yes we've been through it yes we love you and we got you yeah we want to be your village awesome yeah man yeah. no better way yeah. to end this 
Thank you, Tony, so much Absolutely, for man. being on the show. Yeah, it was this fun. This was a blast. Yeah, it was fun. Sorry I got a little long-winded there, but, you know. No, we're good. And we still got a half hour till your next. Oh, perfect. So, because we got we to gotta take headshots. We got to get yeah, some yeah. photos. <laughs> okay. Got to get the media out. Um, so there you go. Thanks for listening to the Dad's Move podcast. My name is Joe Saladino. Appreciate you listening. This has been fun. Have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm. All right.